0: Colossians, starting at 2, verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an impression, appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, Your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is God's word.
1: Well, good evening. Let me have my welcome. Uh, We're in Colossians, Um, no great shock if you've been here week on week, because this is where we are at the moment. But uh, let's pray together as we begin. Our Father, as we've just indeed sung and admit before you, that we need you to once again come and uh, retune our hearts. We go out of tune. We drift from you. We are prone, prone to wander. And so, Father, please speak to us. Would your spirit come and take the words he's written and speak them again fresh to our hearts so that we would indeed live for you and be delighted to follow you. To the praise of your name. Amen. Tonight, then, we're really thinking essentially about how you change. How do you change? How does change take place in the Christian life? Which is a fairly presenting issue for most of us, I guess. If you're a Christian here tonight, you hopefully want to change, make progress, become more like Jesus Christ. If you're still slightly on the outside looking in, it may be of interest. This is how you genuinely change in the Christian life. How do we change, make progress? That is this is not just a random topical sermon, this is fundamental to the issues in Colossae. We've said, Dave, you've been here over the last few weeks, the issue in the the town of Colossae in the first century, where there are false teachers in town, Christian or coming out of a Christian background, and they were saying to the Colossians, it's all very well what you've been taught by uh, Epaphras and um, his teacher Paul, that's all very well, you've got to base one, but you need to now complete let us complete your education. A bit like the emperor to Luke Skywalker. You've done well. Let me complete your education, take you on to the dark side. Doesn't work. Okay, fine. The, um, <laughs> but you're lacking something, and we need to complete you. And in particular, if you are here last week, the, uh, the issue comes very clear in uh, chapter 2, really verse uh, 8 to the end of the chapter. The presenting issue was they were saying they, that the Colossians needed, well, it's a funny mixture, really, a mixture of... Rules and regulations, asceticism, they needed to beat their bodies in certain way, they needed to follow certain festivals, abstain from this food, abstain from that drink, follow this regulation, a mixture of rules, and at the same time, mystical experiences, angelic encounters, and these things would push them on to maturity. But Paul's been very clear, just let me remind you from last time, Of what was taking place. Uh, Do the mystical experiences that they were encouraging. So chapter 2 verse 18. Let me read. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for such a prize. Such a person goes into great deeds about what he's seen. And his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. Okay. So these false teachers were saying you needed spiritual experiences. If you just could experience God in a certain way. Then you'd go on to maturity. Does that work? Well, verse nineteen. No. Now, the person who's advocating such practices has lost connection with Jesus Christ. So, pursuit of spiritual experiences that won't help you mature. You can lose connection with Jesus altogether. And what about them pursuing all these rules and regulations? Does that work? So, at verse twenty, or oh, sorry, verse twenty-one. You're given all these rules: do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. But, verse 23, such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, dot, dot, dot. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So does imposing self-denial upon your life help you grow, help you restrain practices that you want to stop? No, it does not. It's of no value to you at all. You can give up chocolate for Lent if you so desire, and it may help you lose a few pounds. But it's unlikely to train you once it's to, to, to restrain deep passions within you. It doesn't work that way. So what Paul is now going to go on in chapter 3, and we're just looking at verses 1 to 7 tonight, really. But the chapter 3, 1 to, well, the key bit is chapters 1, yeah, these verses 1 to 7. He's going to say, look, here is the way you change and then uh, the rest of the book, he applies that to different relationships. to so the Christian and uh, the, um, in the church, in their family, in the workplace. But here is the key, really, in Colossians to how you change. And what is it? Well, it's not. Um, it's not as the NIV suggests. I, was just, I hate saying this. I hate saying this. But this is one of the ones where it's just really bad. So look, just look with me, um, just before chapter 2 and verse 6, you get this heading in the Bible. Paul, and That's not a bad summary. Chapter 2, verse 6, just before it, the bit in black, that's not in the Bible. That's just added later on. Freedom from human regulations through life with Christ. And then just before our reading tonight, just before chapter 3, verse 1, rules. <laughs> so you see, isn't that just a bit, do you not think the editor might have noticed that? This section is all about Paul saying you don't need rules to make real progress in the Christian life. And the rest of the book is rules about how you make... Do you know? How did no one notice that? <laughs> how do you change in the Christian life? Well, there's one great indicative and then two imperatives. One great statement about what God has done and then two things we need to do. So it works a bit like this. It's on the sheet. You have been raised with Christ. God has done that if you're a Christian. Therefore, keep seeking the things above and put to death your earthly nature. One thing that God has done, two things we need to do. You've been raised with Christ. Keep seeking the things above. Put to death your earthly nature. Let's work through it. First then, you've been raised with Christ. We'll just jump in. Biblically, in the New Testament, there are three resurrections that matter. There's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that took place historically in the first century number 1 secondly there's the resurrection which takes place in the life of every christian when they become a believer there is an inner resurrection or you might say spiritual resurrection two and the third is the bodily or outer resurrection that will take place on the last day of history okay jesus is Internal resurrection that takes place in every believer when they become a Christian. Bodily resurrection, outward resurrection, will take place at the end of time. And Paul is here going to focus primarily on the middle one. The resurrection that takes place in the life of every believer, inwardly, inwardly, do hear me, nothing outward will take place when you become a Christian. Let me just read it again. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, let me focus on this. Notice... It's all about Christ. He dominates these four verses four times. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The Christian life is all about him. And I've got to say, for for myself, I find that an enormous relief. I forget it. My heart is prone to wander. But when I remember that, it's an enormous relief. It it frees me up from navel-gazing. I mean, my life is all about him. And essentially, Paul is saying here, the key to Christian living is knowing that, or remembering that. Or to put it this way. Forget your own history and think instead about the past of Jesus Christ and his future, because you're united to that. Forget your own past and your own future and think about, dwell upon the past of Jesus Christ and his future that is utterly transforming. Let me try to explain that. I'm going to repeat that phrase a few times. Let me try and explain that. We said last week that the Bible presents the Christian as one as united with Christ. There is a spiritual bond between any believer and Jesus Christ. It's a little bit like, we said last week, um, the baby inside a mother's womb. If the mum dives to the bottom of a swimming pool and goes down, so does the baby. If the mum goes to the top of the Hilton Hotel just around the corner and eats in the marvellous restaurant, apparently, uh, right at the top of the Hilton Hotel, so does the baby. It goes down, it goes up. The Christian is united to Jesus Christ. We have descended with him in his death. We've risen with him in his resurrection. What does that feel like physically? Nothing. They get confused. But spiritually, there is an unbreakable bond, Between the believer and Jesus Christ. His history, his future, is our history, our future. Okay? It's about him. So what Paul is saying here is, since then you've been raised with Christ, believers. He's talking to the Colossians, but to us as well. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Do you realize what that means? The resurrection power of God That rose Jesus Christ from the grave is at work within you. The power of the future has broken into the present. One day we'll all be fully resurrected. But that power has broken through into the present. Inwardly, the believer has been resurrected. Raised with Christ. There's a sense in which you will never be more resurrected in your inner being than you are now. Slightly dangerous statement, but um, because I don't want to confuse you, there's a bodily resurrection to come. But the power of the future has broken into the present. That's extraordinary. The life to come, perfection, heaven, glory, is at work within you if you're a believer now. Can you imagine that? The future's broken through to the present. Just try and think of it this way. Imagine you're living in the year I don't know, 500 BC. And I don't know what you're talking, I don't know, my history runs out at that point. But uh, 500 BC, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, someone flies in with an attack helicopter. And, uh, you know, the armies of the day, the, uh, the early Roman legions, a little bit early for that, anyway, but the early Roman legions, all of a sudden, the, the terror of the earth. They're looking a little unimpressive, because one man in that attack helicopter goes, and they're all gone, and they're all gone. The power of the future breaking in to that point in history, wow, wow, that's a bit violent. Imagine you could, um, <laughs> imagine you're living in the year 500 BC and someone turns up with a 21st century ambulance, obviously you get stuck in the desert, but ignore that, the, um, turns up with an ambulance, and all of a sudden there's someone with ep- um, having an epileptic fit, no problem, pen, oh, healed again. Someone's having a fever, take these tablets, oh, healed again, wow wow, this is extraordinary. Where does such magic come from? Or something they would probably say. The power of the future coming into their past. For us in the 21st century, the power of the future, God's resurrection power, heaven, in one sense, has broken through. You're raised with Christ in your inward being. That is extraordinary. You're united to Jesus Christ if you're a Christian, which means you're united to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Wow. That's the power at work in your life to change you and transform you. Wow. Question. I don't feel that impressive. Um, I wake up most Monday mornings and go, uh. And I go to the office and go, uh. Um, and I grump, and I I don't... Look, I've been a Christian a few years, and I look in the mirror, and... and It's just outwardly, but it's not... Okay. This is true. You're raised with Christ, but there are two things you need to do as well. Paul says to every Christian, the first is this. You need to keep seeking the things that are above. So, chapter 3, verse 1, you've been raised with Christ, but now you need to keep seeking the things that are above. Do you see these two parallel phrases? Set your hearts on things above, and set your minds on things above. Two parallel instructions, why it's just so important, it needs to be said twice. Because, of course, there's a reality. We live both, or the Colossians live both in the city of Colossae and in Christ, both true. And for you and me, we live in 21st century London and in Christ. Both are true. And so there is a pressure upon us. So even though we're raised with Christ inwardly, we need to set our minds, set our hearts on things that are above. Now, there are two parallel instructions. And in one sense, they, they capture it quite well. This is not just a mental activity. I'm going to sit and think about heaven. It's not just an emotional activity. I'm, I'm just going to whip myself up into a frenzy about that. It's both mental and emotional. It is set your affections, daydream about this. Have your ambitions on the place above. A few more details, of course. The best thing about the heavenly realm or, or the things above is, verse 1, that Jesus is there. Because he's all we need. He sat in triumph, set your minds upon him. And not on earthly things. You see, there is an obvious contrast. You have to centre your ambitions here. It's an ongoing, repeated effort. It's not something you do once. Not like sat nav. I've put in my post, I've put in the postcode and I've set my car upon the heavenly realms isn't my, you know I've set my and that's fine it's fine and now I just need to slightly daydream and go, it's a repeated activity ongoing it's an ongoing imperative keep on setting your hearts and your minds and your emotions your affections there it's an ongoing effort think about what Jesus Christ has done think about his past died and rose think about his future think about these things Set your affections on these things. Oh, you struck me just now. Singing's a very good way of doing that. As long as the songs are good and the songs have got good content, they do that, don't they? Because if we engage and don't just go to autopilot, but if we engage, we're singing great biblical truth. We're engaging our minds. But music helps us as well. It helps engage our hearts, our affections. Good singing does both, but do it all. But take that not singing throughout the rest of your week. That'd be a bit odd as you go around the office, Um, unless you're a musician. Um... (laughs) Uh, but set your ambitions on the things that are above. But it's quite hard, isn't it? I mean, life is busy, and um, this is good. I like this. But you know, tomorrow, by 10.15, and I've opened the 50th email, you know what? It's quite hard. Yeah, I know. I know it is hard. Paul goes on to help us. So, verse two: Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Four, verse three: Because, or two little things here, you've died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's wonderful assurance. Do you see what he's saying there? Paul is saying, look, it won't be obvious always. Your life is hidden with Christ. It may not be obvious to you even at times, but he has got hold of you. Christ in God, your life is hidden there. That's a wonderful assurance. So even though you're prone to wander, Lord, I know. Just don't panic about that. Your life is hidden with Jesus Christ. That's wonderful. It's wonderful. Don't give up just because you don't always feel that way. You've died and are hidden. And then verse four: you will appear with Christ in glory. The future is wonderful. Verse four: when Christ, who is your life, appears. Then you also will appear with him in glory. Wonderful. You'll appear visibly, openly to one and all. You'll appear with Christ in glory. Set your minds on that. Set your hearts on. Daydream about that. Think about that. It's wonderful. And it does transform you on that, on the things that are above, not on earthly things. Great example, a great example of this of getting it wrong is uh, Esau in the Old Testament. You know, Esau, uh, so Isaac, uh, Abraham had a son Isaac, had two sons, uh, Esau, Jacob. So Esau, chapter 25, he's the eldest son, and therefore gets to inherit everything by the rules of the time. He'll inherit all of his grandfather Abraham's wealth, countless wealth, cattle and sheep, etc., etc. He'll inherit the promises that God has made. He will be great. Wonderful. He stands to inherit everything. Goes out hunting one day. Comes in a bit hungry. Jacob's cooking up some soup or a stew. He,
0: oh, he's
1: a sort of hunter. Oh, give me some stew. And uh, Jacob says, well, you can have some stew if you give up your birthright. So I get to inherit all the money and all the reputation and all the glory and all the promises for a bowl of stew. Uh, all right. <laughs> and Esau makes the trade. And you read that and think... You lemon. (laughs) You had everything and you gave it up for a bowl of soup. It's not even Covent Garden soup. (laughs) It's Jacob's soup. What are you doing? You're a lemon. And yet, all that's happened is he's set his mind upon earthly things, he set his mind upon his stomach, which is rumbling and is very present and very much in front of him, and he's not set his mind on the things that he couldn't see right then, that by faith he knew he would inherit. So he might have been a lemon, but so am I, and so are you, because that's what we do. We set our minds upon things just in front of us, on earthly things, not on the things that are above Very foolish is Esau. Seek the things above, says Paul. Let your life be shaped by Christ's past, his death and resurrection, his future in glory, not your own. It transforms you. But you do have to set your mind on these things. You do have to think about it. Set your, sorry, keep seeking the things that are above Briefly, The novel I've just finished, it's okay. Uh, It was called Hollow Man. It was okay. It was a thriller. If you like thrillers, you might like it. If you like novels set in London, it's brilliant. You can mentally trace the guy as he's moving all around London, and I always like those sort of things. The guy is a slightly corrupt cop, the hero, Nick Belsey. He's a corrupt cop, and he's completely bankrupt, and uh, he's um, done something a bit naughty with the boss's wife, and he knows he's going to get the sack. Uh, so he's just thinking, oh my goodness, my, um, this, my whole life is disastrous. I'm probably going to go to prison myself. I owe so much money to my debt. Oh, all is disaster. Uh, one last thing he does. There's a missing persons uh, thing comes through. And it's on Bishop's Avenue in Hampstead. Which you may or may not know is probably the most expensive street in London. It's slightly ebbs and flows. It's certainly the top three. It is gated mansion. So he goes to visit this thing and uh, finds that the, uh, the owner of the mansion, Alexei Devereaux, Russian multi-millionaire has committed suicide but helpfully left lots of information around and Belsey thinks to himself hmm I could do something with this now this Russian businessman has uh, he's a recluse no one actually has ever met him so the you know, Nick Belsey just adopts the persona of Alexei Devereaux his bank cards his passport his bank accounts, which has plenty of money in them. He has access now to all sorts of exclusive clubs in London. Everyone wants to meet him now, because they've never met him before. And he finds out that in about five days' time, a business deal is going to complete, and 38 million is going to land in his bank account. And he thinks, oh, that's fine, I'll get that, and then I'll go overseas and no one will ever know. So what he does is he adopts both the past... And the future of this man, Alexei Deveron, it changes everything. But he's got to be a bit savvy about it. He has to remember when he's speaking to people who he is. um, He needs to remember the past and the future of this other guy. And that's the Christian, in a sense. We need to allow ourselves to be defined by the past and the future of Jesus Christ: his death and resurrection, his future in glory when we'll be revealed with him. We need to let that retune who we are. Because I am both Matt Fuller, who lives in London, but I'm also a child of God who lives in Jesus Christ. I needed that truth to transform how I think and how I live. I need to remember who I am. So you and I, we need to keep seeking the things that are above That's the first, okay? So we've been raised with Christ. First imperative, keep seeking the things that are above. Secondly, put to death your earthly nature. Verses five to seven, let me read them. Put to death your earthly nature. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Let's stop there. Therefore, verse five, put to death. Because of who you are in Jesus Christ, you need to live this way. Because you've been raised with Christ, there is an obligation upon you if you're a believer. Kill your sin. Put it to death. Because we have fullness in Christ, which is wonderful, but we still have filthiness within, which is miserable. We have both. You see the wonderful realism that is here, biblically, the balance. There's no... You're raised with Christ, so just let go, let God, let him transform you. He'll do everything. No. You've been raised with Christ. That's very wonderful. You need to remember that. Think about that. And you need, to, you need to kill your sin. You need to be active in killing sin. Be killing sin or it be killing you is the famous phrase John Owen. 17th century Puritan divine. You need to be killing your sin. It's violent language, isn't it? Kill, put to death. Not dislike, not regret, not even hate your sin. Kill it. If sin is a beast, it needs slaying. And it is. I mean, biblically, you know how the sin of a believer is portrayed it's portrayed as the old man, the old nature, the flesh. Now, if you're not a Christian, or before you are a Christian, before any of us were Christian, we might do things, and in our conscience we regret them. We may sleep with someone, we may hit someone, whatever it may be, and we may regret it in our conscience, thinking, well, that probably wasn't the best thing to do. But not a lot more than that. But when you're a Christian, there is a battle, upon, a battle on between the Spirit of God, which lives within you, res- Jesus' resurrection power, and our old nature. There's a battle on. And our role is to fight and to put to death the sinful nature. Now, what does that mean? Of course, in the past and in the present, it gets misunderstood. So in medieval times, you'd have monks standing in buckets of water, cold water for hours, wearing hair shirts and, and whipping themselves. That doesn't do anything for you. Or it might make you mad or something like that. But it doesn't do anything in terms of changing you. Of course, more common now is just people use willpower, just willpower, just willpower it away. You know, I will, I will not lust over another woman again. Okay, I will not. L- <laughs> I will not, and it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. You can use willpower, it doesn't, doesn't work. I mean, even, even um, addiction agencies work that out. Do you know, all the, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, all the 12-step programs, they all start with, you know what they all start with, number one? I acknowledge and believe there is a higher power than me. No, it's not Christian. But they're all saying, look, if you're going to change, if you really want to change, there's got to be, some, there's got to be something else, a higher power than you. You can't just do it in your own strength. You can't. You'll never be able to do that. So it's not willpower, because it is, okay, I've been raised with Jesus Christ. I need to remember who I am as raised with Jesus Christ. Okay, with those things in place, with the gospel clear in my head that I am loved, I am raised. Nothing can affect that. Now, now I'm going to be at work, killing off my sin. Kill. Kill. Now look at the areas that Paul picks up on in particular here. I mean, there's going to be much more to come. But uh, just here in verse 5, as he starts off. Really, verses 5 to 7, I should have said this earlier on. Verses 5 to 7, or maybe 5 to 6. I think here he's dealing with the Christian's relationship to God. And then we'll see next time, really, eight, um, 8 down to 17. It's the Christian's relationship to other believers. And then he goes to the workplace and so on. But really here, I think he's talking about the Christian's relationship to God. So verse 5, what does he start off with? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And what does he pick up on? Sexual immorality, impurity. Lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And it's not just an arbitrary list that he picks upon. Paul is picking up on the things which are the great idols, or were the great idols in Colossae of of his day. The things that people were tempted to worship, set their minds upon, set their hearts upon, instead of God. That's why this list is here. Broadly, I think you could summarize it as three things. There's sexual sin, obviously, sexual immorality, and impurity really falls into that camp. Lust and evil desires is more just sensory exploration. I must get the new, I must experience everything, which is a very modern phenomenon, it seems to me. I must go on this bit of travel, I must taste this new experience I must taste this new food or whatever it may be I just must fill my life with lots of sensory experiences is the sort of middle two and then greed is just financial greed it's money these are the big idols of the day in Colossae these are the things that will make people bow down and worship them instead of bowing down and worshipping God that's the issue so again question how do you put these things to death how do you put to death greed? I mean, what do you, what do you, if you had a knife, and what, what, do you, what do you do? I mean, that's no good. What do you do to put it to death? You set your mind and set your heart on things above. You remind yourself what Jesus Christ has done for you and what he will do for you, and money cannot do those things. You remind yourself over and over again. You put them to death. What will you set your mind upon? Will it be God or money? Will it be God? Or will it be sex? Will it be God? Or will it be pursuing the latest experience? What will it be? That's how you put these things to death. We need to remember verse 6. We're still capable of great evil. So we're capable of the list of sins in verse 5. And Paul warns because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Look, the sinful nature is strong within us, not as strong as the Spirit of God, but the sinful nature is strong within us, and it will always plead to be indulged. And it's so very attractive. The soup is in front of us. The promises of God are, I don't know where they are, very, very attractive. Let's not be naive. Sin is attractive, and we need to kill it off, therefore, not play with it, not indulge it, kill I thought, to my mind, a very uh, vivid illustration of this. I watched the other day. There's a great wildlife program for kids on uh, normally on a Saturday morning called Live and Deadly. It goes out live, and the creatures they have are, yeah, deadly. Um, but uh, also along the side, they've got the uh, the Deadly Sixty. They're counting down the Deadly Sixty, Deadly Sixty creatures that can that can kill, and uh, they're slowly counting down, and you know, you get all the sharks and different. Uh, Spiders that can bite you and think, uh, this week, number 22, the stoat. <laughs> and you think, the stoat. About 25 centimeters on its hind legs, fluffy, furry. Why is that so deadly? It's very interesting. The, um, <laughs> let, me exp- let me share it with you. The, um, you know the stoats, they, they kill rabbits 10 times their size. Do you know how they do it? They dance them to death. (laughs) It's amazing, amazing. You can go online and watch footage. Deadly 60 stoats. Um, And what essentially they do is they'll come into a field and there'll be some rabbits at the other end of the field, maybe 150 meters away. And the stoats, I won't do this, but the stoats start dancing. And it's kind of street dancing. They sort of do backflips and things like that. and Um... Um, (laughs) And the, the rabbits are just mesmerized. The rabbits stare at them like a five-year-old in a TV. And the stoats get closer and closer and closer and closer with their dancing until they're right in front of them. And then they just bite them around the neck and it's all over. They're dead. Just go for the nape of the neck and the shock apparently kills the rabbits. Deadly. Deadly dancing. Not dirty. Deadly dancing. Deadly <laughs> dancing. I'm really pleased you laughed at that. <laughs> but in one sense, that's sin. We're just, oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, look at that. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, well, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I won't get too close, but that's very interesting. Ah, uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And you just fall in. Paul says, don't be tempted, don't flirt, don't play around. Don't, I probably shouldn't, but no one will know. Don't do that. Kill it. Kill it. Kill sin or it will be killing you. Kill it off, he says. Put to death whatever belongs to your sinful nature. Very striking picture. Okay. Let me just try and uh, uh, expand on this a little bit before we finish. The Christian life, therefore, do you see what Paul is saying? It is warfare. It's warfare. You thought you came for a, a church and a sermon. What I'm giving to you is weapons training. It's warfare. Okay, let me try and summarize it then. I'll pad it out with the four comments on this warfare. It is well-resourced. Second, it's habitual. Third, it's painful. Fourth, it's progressive. You do make progress. Okay, let me run through them, and then we'll finish. Let me try and f- apply this fight. So the first thing about this fight, this putting to death, it is, is well-resourced. It isn't the British army in Afghanistan saying, can we have more armor plating, please? That would really help. We haven't quite got the resources. God has given us everything we need. Do you remember what we've looked at already in Colossians? The fullness of God is in Christ, and Christ is in you if you're a believer. You have all the resources you need for this battle. There is nothing lacking. The power of the future is broken into the present so that you can resist sin. If if you're a believer, you are different. You're different. To how you were before. Not as different as you want to be. I know that too. But we are different. We live differently. We think differently. To how we were before. The power of the future is broken into the present. You've seen. Um, you may mention this before in different contexts. The film Limitless. Have you seen the film Limitless? It's an enormously appealing film in some senses. So the film is uh, the guy. There's a deadbeat guy, Eddie. Um, and... Uh, uh, Eddie's down and out, Uh, he's all out of money, his girlfriend's left him because he's a bit of a loser, Uh, and then his his girlfriend's brother says, do you want this drug, okay, I'll take the drug, what is it, it's called DZT, and it it unlocks your brain, so rather than using 5% of your brain's capacity, you can use 100% of your brain's capacity, yeah, fine, so he takes this drug, and woo! all of a sudden he can do extraordinary things, so he can He'll knock off a novel in a day. He plays the stock market, makes millions in a week. He can outwit and outthink anyone very quickly. His mental capacity goes to the roof. And if you see this film, at this point, you have to watch, you have to admit, it's very appealing. Very appealing. You think, oh, that'd be nice to sort of supersonic size my brain, etc. But um, he has to keep taking this drug. But he's got this thing at work in his life which has transformed him. He's no longer the same. Now, please don't get carried away. That's quite a good film and an okay illustration. But the Spirit of God, Christ is in you if you're a believer. Christ's resurrection power is broken through from the future to the present. That changes you. You don't have to give in to sin like you did before. You don't have to obey the cravings of your nature as you did before. You can resist. There is a power at work in you to change you. God has not left you under-resourced. We're well-resourced. We're well-resourced. Second, obviously, this battle is habitual. That's the point. You just keep fighting it. Keep fighting it. Keep fighting it. The Christian needs to keep seeking Jesus in order to avail ourselves of this resurrection power because, as we've sung, our hearts are prone to wander. And so we need to keep coming back to Jesus Christ, reminding ourselves... We have resurrection power. As we look to Christ, there's no magic formula here. In one sense, it's the habitual patterns of Christian living. What does it mean? It means you come back and you you read the Bible on a daily basis and you pray really to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You pray to him. You meet with other Christians who will encourage you. It's no magic formula, but you it's a habitual warfare. You just keep fighting it, keep fighting it. So it's well-resourced, it's habitual. Third, it's painful. Putting to death is painful. Well, how would Jesus describe it? Well, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. That isn't... You know, you know what, if you're in a pattern of sin... Just have an early night, have a drink, and don't worry about it. He says, no, no, take action. Painful. It's going to cost. It's going to hurt to put to death sin. You have to fight it. You have to work at it. It's not easy. But it's progressive. It's the last thing. So it's well-resourced. It's habitual. You keep fighting it. It's painful. But slowly, slowly... We make progress in the Christian life. And we're to expect that. It's a warfare that you you keep on making progress. Okay, there's one or two setbacks every now and again. But we keep on... Making progress—that's the expectation. But it takes time. Just be realistic on that. The forty-year-old guy who gets converted tomorrow, and uh, but has is is all his life been a habitual liar to cover up for his mistakes so that people like him. Do you know what? It takes time. You don't just become a Christian the next day, going, "Oh, that's it! I'll never lie again." Ta-da! You have to wean yourself off it. It's slow progress, but that is the expectation. Two Corinthians four sixteen, wonderfully encouraging verse. Though inwardly we are wasting, a, sorry, excuse me. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being transformed day by day. We're being transformed into His glory, day by day. There's progress being made. Now, what does that look like practically in your life? I don't know. What, I don't know what the sin you're battling is particularly. But what? It, give me take one example and just run through it very quickly, and then we are finished. Greed. If it's greed. What do you need to do to fight greed, to be less greedy? Well, one, you need to remember you're well-resourced in the Christian life. God has given me fullness in Jesus Christ. I've died with him. I'm raised with him. And I have an eternity with him in glory. I'm not going to be an easel. I'm not going to give all that away. I'm not going to mock God for all he's done for a bowl of soup. I'm not going to forget everything that God has done for me just for a little bit more money in my pocket. I'm not going to do that. I'm well resourced with what God has done. It's habitual. You just keep reminding yourself of those things. You need to have friends who will remind you, ask you, how are you doing with money? You know, you've said before that's a bit of an issue. How are you doing with it? Well, great, I've got lots. That wasn't what I was asking. What are you, how are you doing in terms of loving it and thinking that's what gives you security. It's habitual. You just need to keep asking the questions. It's painful. It means probably cutting yourself off from the things that make you most tempted to sin. If greed is your issue, what does that mean? I don't know. When are you most tempted to greed? Is it with a certain group of friends? I'm not saying cut yourself off from them, but you need to be very careful what conversations you're having with them. You know, probably amongst Christian circles, it's very easy to drift into that. You actually just have conversations about greed. You know, what... Whatever it is, what car are you buying? I'm buying this car, buying this car, buying this car. Okay, interesting. Where are you living? Living here, living here, living here. Okay. Where are you going on holiday? I'm going here, 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 I'm going there. Hmm. Um, you know, now, once these are just top conversation topics, but they can be just encouraging an acceptable level of greed. So you might have to do the painful thing and say, "This isn't very helpful for me. Can we talk about something more godly?" I mean, you don't have to do it in that voice, but it might be a little bit. But actually, you might probably be helping yourself and helping others if you do that. But you make progress. We'll make progress. We'll make progress. But look, Paul's going to apply this into all different relationships and areas over the next uh, few weeks. But do you see, this is not chapter 3, verse 1, rules for holy living. It's really not. Do you see that? Paul says, you have been raised with Christ. So... Seek the things that are above. Remind yourself. Daydream. Fixate. Talk about the fact that you belong with him and Christ is there in glory. And then put to death your sins. Get it the right way around. You need to remember who you are. That his, his past and his future are yours. And then put to death your sins. Fight. Hard. Yes. But we'll make progress because the power of the future is broken into the present. We just need to remember that and fix our eyes upon Christ. We're complete in him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the realism of the scriptures. We're so thankful that this doesn't say, since then you've been raised with Christ, your struggles with sin are now over, because we would all despair. Thank you for the honesty, that you're very clear. We have, if we're believers, been raised with Jesus Christ, and now we need to remember that. We need to let his history retool our thinking. We need to let his identity in you become our identity in you, and then we can fight And then we can fight. So Father, help us. Help us this evening in our singing and our conversation as we come around the Lord's table to seek the things that are above, supreme that Christ is there. And he will transform us and change us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.